What's the recipe for a serial killer? Or to put it another way, why does one person become a well-adjusted member of society with a job, a wife, two and a half kids, a house in the burbs, and a 15 handicap, while another kid, who maybe grew up right next door, becomes a Jeffrey Dahmer, a Gary Ridgway, a Ted Bundy? This is Crime Scene. I'm Jordan Fenster. To try and answer that question, I turned to Sasha Reed. My name is Sasha Reed, and I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto. Um, I study developmental psychology, I have a background in criminology, and I guess the focus of my current research is on the etiology of serial homicide. Don't feel bad. I didn't know what etiology was either. Etiology would be the developmental origins. So this could be anything like um, biological or um, socio-developmental. So this could be something like the way that your parents raised you, what kind of neighborhoods you were living in. I'm what's called a lifespan, um, a lifespan researcher. So I look at the development of humans from conception until death. So I, I really do study the whole entirety of the serial killer from pretty much preconception till the time they're incarcerated or, or put to death. Reed is developing a comprehensive database that examines every aspect that might in any way contribute to the development of a serial killer. And the word comprehensive doesn't quite cut it. Maybe I should say exhaustive or all-inclusive. For example, was the killer abused when he was a child? Was his mother abused? How old was his mother when she gave birth? Was it a C-section? Were there any complications? Were there any brain abnormalities? Was the killer bullied in school? Ever have a concussion, epilepsy, chronic sore throat, a mental disorder, lead paint in his room, substance abuse, parents incarcerated, parents divorced, and on and on and on for literally thousands of known serial killers around the world. To be clear, that database is not complete, not by a long shot. But it's enough to begin some analysis. So one thing that I'm doing, I've already collected this absolutely monstrous database, um, and it's a quantitative database, so basically it has all of this information on what serial killers experience throughout their life and at what age, that's very important from a developmental psychologist's perspective, at what age did these events occur. But now what I'm doing is taking a look at, I'd say, the diaries of serial killers, um, looking at the court transcripts, the interviews that they've done with police officers, and then doing a, uh, a qualitative analysis. And from that, I'm trying to get a sense of how is it that they interpret their social worlds. And then I'm taking that and kind of bringing that back to the quantitative data and trying to get a sense of, okay, so this happened. This is how they understand and perceive the world. If this happened and this is how they perceive it, of course they're going to be doing A, B, or C. I think... At this point, it's important to look at the definition of serial murder. Remember, back in 2014, the FBI boiled it down to only 15 words. The unlawful killing of two or more victims by the same offender in separate events. That definition is intentionally broad, so as not to limit an investigator's thinking. It allows for types of murder like mafia hits and gang killings, and is supposed to help encourage law enforcement agencies to commit resources to an investigation. 
But that's not good enough for Sasha Reed. They are investigators. They, they are not people who are sitting in a laboratory day in and day out um, and running data. They are people on the ground who are tasked with identifying suspects and following leads and, and catching the bad guys. They don't need a really comprehensive definition. So someone who's in my field, who's all about research, I need that. Reed's goal is to look at the whole animal, soup to nuts, A to Z. So 15 words is not going to suffice. For me, it's important to be able to have a standardized definition of serial killers because I study etiology. How is it that this develops? And having an understanding of etiology really requires you first to know exactly what it is that you're trying to discuss or to talk about. So if you have something like the FBI's definition, which is the unlawful killing of two or more victims by the same offender in separate events. That's great, but <laughs> there is so much that can go into that. Here then is the definition of a serial killer that Reed uses for her research. The goal-based and ritualized murder and or attempted murder of human beings that must meet the following criteria. A. The total achieved murders is three or more, or the total achieved murders is two and there was at least one more attempted murder. B. The combination of total achieved and or attempted murders can be linked forensically and or upheld judiciously. C. The primary goal of the perpetrator is intrinsic and based in psychological motivations of personal gratification. D. The murder is not carried out at the behest of another or in response to a personal attack on oneself or a loved one. E. The offender exercises independent, conscious deliberation, purposeful control, planned forethought, and intentional action, and the acquisition, constraint, handling, and or eventual elimination of the victim. F. Each event of murder occurs as a discrete event, which occurs at different intervals of time and which are in interrupted by a break or dormant period between homicides, wherein the offender returns to their usual way of life. G. Subsequent killings meet corollaries A through G. Specifically, Reed is looking at sexually motivated male serial killers. The killer has to be internally driven, not externally driven. So something like money. So I'm going to pay you $1,000 if you kill this person. That, that's not what I'm looking for. That's a great you know, definition of you know, somebody who could be a hitman or assassin. But um, the way that I understand serial killers is they're primarily motivated by this psychological drive, which comes from internal processes, not external processes, like financial motivation. Okay, so if we wanted to cook up a serial killer within those parameters, is there a recipe we could follow? To some degree, yes. Start with some psychopathy. Add a healthy dose of sexual abuse. Pour in some bullying and blend well. You see certain um, patterns popping up. So you see things like child abuse. Um, maybe they abused animals when they were young. You see maybe evidence of substance abuse during their uh, adolescence. Or maybe they were bullied. Maybe they bullied people while they were in school. These are common things that you see uh, on the whole. And it matters when all these things happen to a potential serial killer. Well, human development is an unfolding process. So it's not like you're born and then you have everything that you need and then you're just good. Um, as you're developing, 
you know, even prenatally, things are happening to your brain, to your body. Certain things are growing at certain different or at different rates. Um, different teratogens, so toxins, they can affect your system more at certain prenatal stages than others. Now, when you're born, certain experiences, such as the experience of abuse, are more impactful at early, early ages, when you're still just learning what is safe in the world and what is not safe in the world. Um, being able to form attachments with people around you, so being able to have uh, this feeling of safety when you're around your parents. That's an important thing that develops oh, really early on, like within the first, absolutely within the first two years. Mm. And that's your foundation for how you understand your social world, right? And then you go even further into your adolescence, where you're learning to develop morals and, and social emotional connections and how to actually engage in, in communication, et cetera, et cetera. So at all of these stages, there are critical points um, for experiences to happen, or if things don't happen, like, I guess, having a loving relationship with somebody. If you don't have that before the age of two, that's problematic. It's probably impossible to predict that a particular child will become a serial killer, but it is possible to look back and see when a serial killer began to form. Roughly by the age of eight, eight, <laughs> a lot of these serial killers are already harboring feelings of extreme violence, anger, rejection, and resentment at eight years old. That's extraordinary. But even then, getting the recipe right isn't enough. What's maybe more important is how a person handles all of those stimuli. It's, it sounds like, oh, these, you know, these are some great risk factors. However, you also have to understand that a lot of people experience this. <laughs> a lot of people are bullied. Um, and, you know, a lot of children, unfortunately, are abused. So... You have to be able to identify risk factors, but then go beyond that and try to understand, like, how is it that these people are interpreting the traumas that they're exposed to, and how is that then shaping the way that they're thinking about the world and um, the decisions that, that they choose to engage in? So killing people. Risk factors are one thing, but it's how people interpret um, the risks that they've been exposed to. That's kind of the more interesting thing. Remember, lots of people struggle with mental illness and abuse and broken families, lead paint, bullying, head trauma, and more. But serial killers are rare. You know, people get abused, and it sucks, and people get bullied, and people's parents divorce, and it happens. So we have to be able to tease apart what are normal experiences, what are normal ways that children react to trauma, and what are some not-so-normal ways of processing that information? What are some not-so-normal ways of dealing with frustration and rage? And why do those not-so-normal ways of dealing with things happen in some people, but not others? For a serial killer, the only way to handle all of that adversity, the only thing that seems to make sense, is murder. It was one serial killer. He was a kid growing up had some normal kid traumas, he was bullied, his parents were divorced, things weren't going really well. And his thought, his only thought of being able to get out of the situation was not to run away, it was not to call a friend, 
It wasn't to go and hide. It was to grab a knife and to kill his mother. I mean, I've been angry with my parents, and my parents were when I was nine, too. <laughs> Never once did I consider that the only way I could escape my frustration was through murder. Reed's research is not complete. But when it comes to psychology, she believes that serial killers are essentially... Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love. <laughs> I mean, it sounds weird. They're looking for love in all the wrong places, and they're looking for love and doing it incorrectly. They don't know how to do it. They don't know how. She seems to believe that serial murder begins with a lack of emotional connection. They've got this great desire for social closeness. They want to be close. They want to feel loved. But they have a problem in being able to connect with people. They want so desperately to connect, but they are so unable to do it. And now sometimes that's by choice. Um, well, not by choice, but sometimes that's kind of forced on them because people don't want to be around them. People think that they're weird, they're bullied. And so while these people want desperately to be close, other people won't allow them to, right? And so it could be bullies with peers or bullied by parents. They desperately want to be close to their parents, but for some reason, their parents not letting them in. In some cases, that's because the parent is a vicious abuser. And in other cases, it's something very, very subtle. Like the parent doesn't facilitate conversations that allows the person to express themselves in an authentic way. So it's a very kind of structured relationship that they have. So they're unable to express this desire for connection or closeness. It's all, I guess, a slow kind of linear progression. Like I said, human development is an unfolding. So in their childhood, they have this longing to be unconditionally loved, to be seen, to be heard, to be respected, and, and just to be somebody, someone. But they can't be that. And so maybe, now this is all just conjecture because I have not yet studied this part, but this is my next step. Maybe as they're progressing into adolescence, they get reinforcements of the fact that maybe they're not loved. Maybe they're bullied a little bit more. And maybe they're bullied just as much as any other kid, but because they failed to have that connection in the beginning, one that they so longed for, it starts to build this tiny seed of resentment. And from that, you only grow and you develop and you experience more things that might feed into this idea that you're not worthy, you are not loved, you are nobody. And in the right person, with and this is where the genetics comes in, with the right potential, biology, maybe it's expressed as violence. I asked Reed if she believes that if she had a time machine, could she go back and tweak that recipe to create that emotional connection and turn Ted Bundy into a well-adjusted member of society? There's not just one thing I can tweak, again, because development is, um, you know, just an unfolding, there are things all along the way that you would have to change. Let's start with his prenatal development. Let's start with his mom, um, who was, for her own reasons, um, taking medication. Were those medications necessary? Did they have any kind of impact on his prenatal development? Probably. The answer is no. Because you do have to have that perfect storm of biology, of environment, 
the way that somebody understands the world and interprets it, the way that their negative thoughts are being reinforced throughout their life course. <laughs> it's, it's quite a, a big thing. Thanks to Sasha Reed for all her help. Before I go, I want to encourage you to sign up for the Crime Scene newsletter at lohud.us slash crime scene. Every week, I share crime scene photos, new true crime stories, police files, transcripts, in-depth discussions, and more, all delivered to your email for free once a week. That's l-o-h-u-d dot u-s slash crime scene, all lowercase. This is Crime Scene. I'm Jordan Fenster. Thank you.